Hi everybody, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a bi-weekly web series and podcast that interviews agency owners from around the world about agency operations, growth, and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can find our videos and full transcripts on agencyunfiltered.com. Today, we talk to Blake Kendrick, Director of Operations for Boston-based Full Funnel. Blake talks through his team's approach to reporting, specifically how important an audit of backend schema is to impactful, actionable insights and business intelligence. We talk about data integrity, hygienic fields and properties, deliberate structure, and more. Have your client's data infrastructure set for business intelligence with this episode of Agency Unfiltered. Blake, uh, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. We'll just jump right in. Welcome okay. to uh, HubSpot HQ in Cambridge. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. pleasure to be here. Cool. We're excited to have you. Um, uh, obviously, the Boston brand is strong with Full Funnel, so obviously yeah. appreciate that. Um, what we're what we're going to get into today, um, it's interesting, right? I think a lot of clients, like you can't have a client engagement without reporting coming up, and it makes sense, right? We have to validate our performance and our impact. Um, but what Full Funnel's discovered is that. It, to extract the value out of reporting, there's a whole lot of intentional work and, and groundwork that you have to put into the, the back end or the CRM, uh, the data points that then pull through to the, the reporting. And so yeah. rather than me just butcher it, why don't you just give us the quick <laughs> overview of kind of how you guys think about reporting uh, and some of the work that has to go into the back end before you see value in it. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple layers uh, and, and kind of directions that we approach reporting from um, when we're setting our clients up for, for success on that front. Um, one of the major things that you have to do is just understand your schema up front. So we always start with a data dictionary kind of rule up, defining all the fields and everything like that. Mm -hmm. um, fields is in like just like across the CRM, so the properties that are in yeah, use. Yeah. yeah, and you want to leverage. So one thing that we see, we come into these instances where people have made really custom sort of uh, environment for themselves and capturing a lot of really data that is, is unique to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be having form questions kind of laid out as individual fields. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, the, the line of questioning that salespeople do or whatever, qualifying questions, things like that. And that's great um, to capture because as you're going through and working deals and things like that, you want to be able to refer back to that information. But um, Wherever you want to, we actually, we try and eliminate or consolidate fields to make sure that we are leveraging default fields. Because mm -hmm. um, in most cases, you know, we talk about, uh, we talk about HubSpot, we talk about Salesforce as well. Um, the systems are really built to operate a certain way. So, so for example, um, Salesforce is a really good example of this is you have that division between leads and contacts. Mm -hmm. And what we see a lot of times is sometimes companies will come in and, and then kind of forgo leads altogether <laughs> and go straight to the contacts and accounts. But what ends up being missed there is you, you lose the power of Salesforce being able to find the marker and, and kind of um, the split between, you know, what are our success rates for conversion? Sure. Um, so you, you want to make sure that you're leveraging the default fields as much as you can. Uh, and then uh, outside of that, you're also wanting to look at the fields themselves and, and try and define as much as possible. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, fewer 
single line text fields and more drop downs and, and pick lists. Right. Um, I think the classic example is like state, right? Do you type in yes. Massachusetts or Mass or MA, but you yeah. drop down it ensures consistency across answers? Is yeah, that, yeah. It, it, makes it, it makes it easier in two ways. One, from a user experience standpoint, you're going to be giving your sales reps and, and other users uh, a really more straightforward approach to how they can enter the system, and, and you're going to have an easier time managing you know, data integrity and, and compliance. Um, on the second side of it is when you go back to build your filtered views and, and lists and reports, um, if you want to apply those filters, you're going to have a, a lot more deliberate selection there and you're not going to kind of miss gaps. So hmm. just the same example you just used, you know, if you put in a filter for MA, but some people are typing in mass, you're going to miss all those mass records um, if you're using kind of open text fields. So we, um, we look at the, uh, the use of the objects, the default fields, and then the kind of the organization of the data within those fields hmm. um, uh, in terms of value sets to make sure that everything is, is kind of concise and deliberate when you're going to build the reports. Where does this fall in the larger client engagement? Is this like one of the immediate tasks, like an onboarding or a client kickoff? Yeah. Like, let's get our hands on all of the data and, and the structure on the back end to clean everything up if needed before we get things going? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So, I mean, usually when we're approaching clients, they want us to, um, so we do both uh, advisory services and outsourced work. So we'll actually act as an extension of the marketing team or the sales team. And a lot of times they're like, hey, we just need more activity, we need more, more labor and things like that. And sometimes we'll walk into an environment and we'll be like, well, you're, you're maybe missing some pieces. Mm -hmm. And um, really it's, it's always gonna be infrastructure first um, because infrastructure is gonna dictate business intelligence and then business intelligence is gonna dictate you know, where should we allocate our resources? Should we put more people on the phones? Should we invest more in you know, paid advertising channels? Yeah. That sort of thing. Um, so it, there is really an order of operations to it. Um, I would say if you were going to take it to the broadest level, you're going to want to establish behavioral policies first, hmm. like internally, like how should people be approaching the sale and uh, what steps should they take and things like that. Um, understanding the questions that you want to ask and mm -hmm. what the information you want to get in terms of your regular reporting. Uh, and then the next step would be how can we maybe add on to um, the, the system's kind of default environment um, to support those, those previous two objectives. And then from there, then you're going to get into execution mm -hmm. and, and kind of tweaking and optimizing from there. But Makes sense. Uh, how would you split, or what's the rough estimate percentage of clients that have you on in that advisory role for this versus sure. the the implementation or the execution of it? Uh, a lot of our a lot of our full service engagements, we just we end up saying, hey, look, we need to do a full assessment. I mean, the way that we sell our services, we actually do a deep dive audit prior to signing someone on for a full service engagement. Oh, gotcha. So, so this comes in before, yeah. Yeah, we need to make signed. sure we know what we're walking into mm -hmm. and and make sure that um, we're really taking the right course of action. Mm -hmm. um, have you been burned before that kind of mandated <laughs> that as the, the process? Um, yeah, we, we have, we have uh, you know, had people kind of uh, shirk away from the, the initial audit. Um, you know, it's usually, it tends to be our smaller clients um, yeah. that are, you know, just really highly price sensitive for that. Um, but we've also worked it out the other way where it's like, okay, let's, let's shelve outsourcing services because really this isn't the best plan for you right now. Like, you don't need to deploy more resources. You need to just kind of tweak what's what's already available. Yep. And then we sell that first part of the engagement and kind of work on that for a few months and, mm. and get them um, 
or weeks or however sure, long right. it take. Depends on how disaster um, it is in the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that they have uh, you know a visual into you know how is their funnel progression working. Um, making sure they have really precise uh, idea of uh, source attribution for mm -hmm. everything that's coming in as well. Um, and we kind of treat that as its own project and just sell that engagement first. Oh, yeah. Very cool. What's there, if, if there is any, it, what, what's the distinction for this audit uh, between like contact properties versus company properties, deals, like knowing that there's just a, a ton of different categories of properties inside of HubSpot or any, any tool that your clients may be using? Uh, does the process change in, in, in regards to that category? Yeah, I, I would say, um, so most of the clients that we're dealing with are, are following a, a B2B sales process. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to evolve from finding a, a cold prospect, uh, which you're usually going to be, if you're talking in terms of Salesforce, talking about just the leads object, mm -hmm. um, no other relationships involved there. And you're working that person through and, and qualifying um, really at the contact or the person level. Mm -hmm. uh, once you have a qualified contact identified and you have some some semblance of an idea of okay this person's the right fit and they have some intent to purchase as well then you're gonna move on and you're gonna kind of use the account as mm -hmm. your control center because ultimately it's the company that's buying your product not that sure. person right yep. um, once you finish that second layer of qualification usually this would be like a handoff between like a an SDR sales development representative to like an AE like an account executive yep, for sure um, you know, they, they verify the quality and they say, yeah, these uh, these people do want to move forward. We do have um, a way to deliver services or products to this group. So let's spin up that opportunity. And then at that point, you're working just in the opportunity and kind of maintaining everything mm -hmm. from there. Yeah. Um, how much coaching comes into that exact process, right? <laughs> because everyone's going to use a system in their own unique way. Yeah. Um, but how much handholding or how much training or coaching goes into having your clients leverage the tools in, in that sort of process? Um, um, plenty. I, I would say it comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, usually it's, it's kind of that division, <coughs> excuse me, that division of, um, you know, are we working a, uh, are we working a person at this point? Or are we working an account? Um, and it's really going to come down to how heavily are you communicating with, um, a, a, an individual mm -hmm. to kind of gather information and that's going to be all your prospecting activity. And then how, how much are you kind of, um, working with the team more broadly and identifying a solution that's going to be your company level. So, sure. um, yeah, we, we do have to teach on that a little bit. Um, I think people, uh, you know, different businesses will come in and in an in, in account based, you know, marketing or sales strategy, um, they might be pulling company names first mm -hmm. and then finding the contacts. Um, but, uh, you know, really you're, you're working the person from the beginning until you, until you know that that quality is, uh, is the way that you, you know, at the level that it should be, yeah. um, you're really going to be working just people from that point. Sure. And, yeah. That makes sense. Um, what would you say is the distinction between having someone migrate systems and now mm -hmm. they need an audit of the, the data that's being migrated versus right. legacy use of the system, but they just formed bad habits versus somebody trying to build a practice from the ground up? Do you play in all three of those realms? Um, uh, if not, or if so, I mean, what, what do you see as the, the big differences there as the, the service provider? Yeah, it's um, so we're, we're just trying to find the right uh, long-term solution for, for our clients. So, I mean, it's depending on what the um, sort of makeup of, of the sales process is going to be. For example, we usually, uh, people end up being a lot more comfortable with like NetSuite or they might have like an ERP or something like that sure. in their infrastructure already. Um, usually they have that paired with Salesforce. We don't want to shake up that whole process because warehousing and supply chain management and all that <laughs> stuff and you know, that's a whole other beast that goes outside of just the sales process, right? Um, so f fulfillment 
you know, we, we don't really play in that category and we don't want to disrupt that. Sure. So we try to, um, in those settings, you know, work within the legacy environment uh, as much as we can and um, just point out areas where it's like, this wasn't defined right or, <laughs> you know, you need, a, you need to have uh, your values kind of parsed out a different way here. Um, and uh, <laughs> as much as we can, doing some additive work mm -hmm. rather than corrective work. Mm -hmm. um, because it's uh, it's it's much easier to just pick something up new and maybe have somebody be like, oh, here's a, here's an extra checkbox to check mm -hmm. while you're going through your thing. Then it is to say you did it that way. Now you're doing it this way. Yeah, we're we're right. gonna shift it. What's um, an example of like an additive um, piece that that you've done for a client? Like, what would that look like? Yeah, any sort of um, so so we introduce usually um, and HubSpot uh, fortunately does this automatically. <laughs> um, we introduce. Uh, tracking for like the became dates we call them so the became a lead became an MQL oh very cool yeah um, right. we also introduced a, an SAL stage as a as a middle mark um, because we're sometimes doing appointment setting or like pre qualification yeah right um, and then SQL etc um, so we introduce those date stamps and we we leverage automation so that as you're um, as a sales rep is going in and updating their activity they're saying hey this is the latest pass um, you know we set a meeting. Okay, let's mark that date stamp. Let's update that lifecycle stage, and that's all just going to happen in the background, mm -hmm. and it adds a lot to the reporting side, mm. um, but doesn't really shake up the the sales user experience. Mm. Um, on the other side of that, you know, sometimes uh, people will be approaching lead status uh, in the way that they would approach um, sort of a lifecycle stage. Sure. So, Confusion as to the distinction between the two, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going in, and you know, I'm a sales rep, and I'm coming into my system. And I'm saying, hey, what do I have to do today? You want to work backward from from your furthest priority, furthest part in the sale, mm -hmm. uh, back to the coldest people, right? And that's going to be mostly activity based. So you want to say, okay, who do I need to do my second pass follow up with? Mm -hmm. Who do I need to do my first pass? Um, you know, something like that. And uh, lead status is really going to be more effective defined as an activity based mm -hmm. um, sort of sequence than it is going to be. Uh, you know, how qualified is this person? Right. Um, and that's going to be really effective, especially if you're hiring new sales teams and uh, sales team members and scaling up. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy for them to be like, what do I have to do next? Hmm. Than it is for them to, to understand really fully, like, is this person qualified or not? It's a, it's just a, a more difficult um, kind of definition there sure. if, you, if you have less experienced employees. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the long and short of it, it's not even just auditing how they're using, using the data or how their information is structured in the yeah. CRM, but it sounds like there's also a piece of sales consultancy as well. Yeah. Because uh, you have to align those two to, get to eventually just reach the, the maximum impact on, on some of this reporting. Yeah. Um, the, the way that we usually kind of close the deals on these, on these uh, systems yeah. audits is we say, hey, listen, we're not talking about, you know, shaking up your data and, and just giving you some new dashboards, right? Um, that's kind of the, what the takeaway is. Mm -hmm. But really, we're talking about building on user experience for your sales team um, and kind of retraining and building understanding. It's an educational process um, as much as it is a delivery of a... The, the, know, the final output final, being a dashboard, right, yeah. Right, yeah. That makes sense. Um, talking about the dashboard, actually, let's just assume in this hypothetical scenario, the audit has went really well, okay. all the data feels really good, the, the sales process aligns with how the data is supposed to be inputted and used, etc. Um, what are some of the, the most successful or most impactful reports that your team has been able to put together? Like, what are some of your favorite reports yeah. that clients seem to, to really enjoy or love? Um, it, it it depends on who you're talking to. Sure. So, I mean, you have um, your VP of sales type of, type of person is going to... Uh, really be interested in 
<clears throat> monitoring activity, monitoring production per rep. Mm -hmm. um, so breaking out uh, activity types and then the, the results for those activities um, and you know doing groupings based on, depending on how big the team is, by territories or sure. something like that. Teams or however. Yeah. yeah. If you're talking about your, your VP of marketing um, or even your, uh, like your CRO, um, they're definitely going to be interested in attribution reporting. Um, so, uh, in Salesforce, you got to do a lot of a lot of work, I think, to define some of those fields. Um, we actually find one of the most co uh, you know competent sort of uh, combinations of, of platforms is Salesforce with HubSpot, hmm. um, because HubSpot is so proficient at um, detecting uh, inbound you know sources and things sure. like that. Yeah. Um, more so than, you know, maybe part out or something like that. <laughs> uh, so um, that's a really powerful combination. And obviously HubSpot standalone uh, is, is more than capable of doing that. Um, but you do have to do a lot of, you know, upfront work with Salesforce and defining the value sets, making sure those mappings are correct uh, and, and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, HubSpot um, is great with its newer attribution reporting that it introduced. Yeah. So oh, yeah. in, in professional, you have those uh, contract attribution mm -hmm. reports uh, that are looking uh, more specifically, not just at the sources, but also the content types right. um, and having not just first touch, but you know, multi-touch attribution, yeah. which um, those models have been have been killer. Uh, anytime we bring those up, people are like, "Oh, that's great!" I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then at the enterprise level, obviously, you're getting that dollar value out of it, totally. with the revenue attribution. Yeah. So that's um, that's definitely been a game changer. We've been looking more closely at that and, and trying to uh, to you know upsell our current customer base on you know, hey, take a second look at these reports because it's all done for you, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you yeah. can kind of answer that question really quickly of you know where do we put our marketing dollars? Yeah, hundred percent. No, you're spot on. Um, I only have like one or two questions for you. Sure. Uh, the first one of these being, uh, let's just say uh, I'm an agency or a service provider or a partner uh, listening in, uh, and the light bulb has gone off. Be like, man. I don't do enough uh, data consultancy or like any data audits for my clients. Okay. Uh, what's the easiest place or how should I like get started if I want to fold that into my practice? Sure. Um, I would say before you get started with, with anything, so you don't really need to be a tech wizard um, to do those sort of things because usually a lot of what people need is they just need a pointer on like what's the plan going to be. Sure. And um, the way that we structure them we have th three phases that we always you know, abide by. We have our planning and sort of approval phase. So we're gonna do that review of, of your data set and everything, make sure we have the definitions right, make sure we understand everything. Mm -hmm. and How much time do you think that takes? Like what is the average time um, commitment for that sort of? Um, I'd say, so we usually break it out, we break it out into weeks. Um, and I guess depending on the scope, the size of their, you yeah, know, it, yeah, it depends because you get variables. I mean, I've, I walked into a client where they had uh, literally like 400 custom fields that they <laughs> had put into their schema for, for like an accounts object in their Salesforce. So that took a long time to do sure. through. But typically, um, it's going to be about a week. Uh, let's say you spend 10 hours each week, right? Mm -hmm. um, your planning phase is going to take one to two weeks. Your implementation page, uh, phase is going to take another week. And then your um, sort of rollout and training phase, mm -hmm. um, you can probably do that across a week if you want to bundle some like training videos or something sure, like that. Yep. But um, as we said, you know, it's going to be really related to behavioral training and user experience. So, so that's the difference between implementation and rollout. Rollout is the behavioral training. The implementation is actually what applying the recommended yeah, changes the, the to the technical, the yeah, like yeah, yeah. creating new fields and changing cool. value sets and things that's like awesome. that. Yeah. So we we introduce it in those three phases. Um, 
So if you have kind of an understanding of like, okay, as we're doing this, we want to minimize risk as much as we can, that's going to keep you out of hot water. It's going to keep you aligned with your, your client's expectations mm-hmm. along the way. Um, and uh, I, I'd say that's the first the first look. It's just making sure that you have clear communication, you have documentation of your, your change logs and everything that you're mm-hmm. making as well. Um, because if anything gets disrupted, you want to go back and sure. kind of undo that as, as quickly <laughs> as you can to, to help anybody. But um, Where do you guys track that? Uh, we usually just use a, we use a, a spreadsheet that we monitor along the cool. way, um, but we also use project management tools. We recently had been on Asana, which worked uh, w- well enough. Yeah. Um, we recently also uh, um, implemented Mavenlink, uh, oh, so yeah. we're, we're currently in transition right now and our team is moving over there. Um, but Mavenlink's really great in terms of uh, getting that extra element of budgeting and things like that. Our right. CFO loves it. I was going to say, do you <laughs> so. use time tracking in Mavenlink as well? Uh, yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. We do. Um, it's a little bit different. Uh, we were doing Asana with like a combination of Toggle, mm-hmm. um, uh, or some people I know have been using like Harvest and things like mm-hmm. that for a while. But um, yeah, it's a little bit different because in Maven Lake you have like timesheets. But um, yeah, so uh, sorry. To back to the original question, I think was um, you know what recommendation can we give? You know, really nail down the plan, set the expectations, be really communicative along the way, and get upfront approvals on everything. Sure. Um, just make sure that you're talking to the right person. You know, a, a, VP, a VP of sales might be like, hey, this is what we want to see. Can you introduce this and like add this field and things like that? And um, it might be, you know, an operations person sure. who kind of has been working in the background, maybe as a, you know, part-time admin. The person that thing. makes the request doesn't necessarily. Be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you don't want to interrupt any workflows and things like that. But um, as long as you kind of stick to those phases and make sure you're planning up front, I'd say, I'd say that's probably the, the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, final question. So we asked this, we close every episode with this. Sure. Not related to the topic at hand. Uh, what is the weirdest part of agency life? Oh, um, the weirdest part of agency life. I would say, Ooh, man, that's uh, yeah. that's a stuffer. That's uh, see, we don't, we don't put that in the episode <laughs> brief, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the weirdest part of agency life is just, uh, Making sure that you can, you can balance your time and deal with fires, uh, and also make time for for the structured stuff that you have in your re- regular ongoing projects. Sure. Yeah. Um, the push I, and pull of reactive versus proactive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we so talking about project management, we um, we have adopted sort of a a Frankenstein version <laughs> of uh, of a sprint model, an agile yeah. model. Yeah. Um, and we have a set block of hours that we just reserve and keep in, in um, on the side as kind of flex hours. Mm-hmm. And then we have our set hours that are more structured for certain projects and things like that. And um, it takes a while and, and it's an ongoing process, but uh, if you can stick with that and you can kind of keep that balance and everything and make sure you have certain time for client billable work, certain time for uh, ongoing research, and, and then certain time for kind of internal innovation projects and things yeah. like that. And you might divide that up by team. Um, that's that's something that's a little bit different, but it's something that's uh, really important because as agencies, if we're doing advising, we got to be at the forefront of, uh, of the knowledge on everything. Yeah, so. no, you have to have time for the, those innovation type projects, the yeah. research. The, yeah, it's a great answer. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it for me, man. Thanks so much for coming in, coming on. Uh, but this has been Agency Unfiltered. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Agency Unfiltered. If you like what you saw, heard, or read, make sure to subscribe to our playlist on YouTube, our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, 
or our newsletter on agencyunfiltered.com. Alongside episode launch notifications, the newsletter also comes with a ton of other helpful, strategically curated agency content from yours truly. And if you wanna keep the conversation going or provide a counterpoint to this episode's discussion, tweet me at, at Kevin underscore Dunn. I'll see you again in two weeks, but in the meantime, keep it unfiltered and let's all grow.